Welcome to the Future of Life Institute podcast. My name is Gus Docker. This is the second part of an interview my colleague Emilia Jaworski did with Sean Eakins. Sean is a pharmacologist and an expert in computational toxicology. And in this podcast, Sean and Emilia continue their conversation about the benefits and potential risks of using artificial intelligence for drug discovery. Here is Sean and Amelia. I'd like to transition into thinking exactly as you're talking about the role of the scientists in the ethical discussion and ultimately the policy discussion. And I think what you've effectively done with this project is pull a fire alarm for the industry and tell thousands of people that have never had this on their radar in their day-to-day that this is something we need to be thinking about as an industry. We cannot be naive. Our naivety is a liability in this case, and that we need to start adopting some something, right? right? Something is, and what is that thing? And I think AI, you know, I think of FLI's journey as an organization, and this was really spawned off of thinking about AI risk was a very early area for FLI. And one of our first efforts that we did was something called the Asilomar Principles, which was a conference where we brought together a diverse multi-stakeholder group of scientists and policymakers and people in industry and academia to get together and say, hey, as we think about making ever more powerful AI, are there some guidelines we should think about? Are there some ethical principles that we should start to establish? And also working to garner the voices of scientists in the policy conversation through the likes of open letters and and talking about this, this need. And here we sit with that conference, you know, being in 2017. Now there's OECD principles for AI ethics, and there is the EU AI Act being debated in Parliament in Europe. And so just seeing a renaissance and a rush to take on the risk and have the policy conversation catch up. So I'd be interested to know your thoughts on our industry of making drugs to help people. Where, what are the first steps or what are you thinking about in terms of where do we start? Because you even said you were wrestling with this from your own ethical you know, point of view because there were no guidances. There was no discussion of this. Right. I mean, from the pharmaceutical industry, obviously, as we get into the uh, clinic or even preclinical, we have FDA guidelines, right, of the kinds of experience kinds of things we have to do to show that the molecule is efficacious and not toxic um, and actually works in the clinic. And those are the guidelines that I think about, right, as a pharmaceutical researcher that I need to follow, not the OPCW guidelines and, and you know, not these other kinds of uh, guidelines that are around the AI. And so I think there's a disconnect here. I mean, I'm someone that's using these technologies in a very narrow field. But these are things that are going to impinge on me, right? Now now I'm fully into it. I'm aware, okay, we need to be thinking about these OECD guidelines or whatever. I I, I mean, like, oh my goodness, I'm going to drown under guidelines. So just imagine, how do you get that across to the thousands of scientists that are doing this in companies and doing it in academia? Like the academics, they don't give a hoot about the FDA guidelines, right? For doing the in vitro experiments or the in vivo experiments they have to do. And now you're throwing something at them that's going to be completely alien. Um, I don't know how how we're going to get that across to people. I mean, I mean, even for me, thinking about oh my goodness, I'm now I'm 
you're mentioning all these guidelines, I'm going to have to go look them up, right? I didn't even know they existed. Um, so I, I think there's definitely going to be a challenge there of educating people, the awareness of what's out there. Um, and then how do we respond? I mean, because if we just suddenly lock down all of our technologies, what is that impact going to be on the industry, right? The goal is for us to increase productivity, come up with new molecules that, you know, have efficacy and not toxicity. And now through this, we're, we're saying, all right, kind of crying wolf in a way, right? You know, we can do this, alert people to the potential concerns, but as the kind of a blindness to it. Are people going to be immune to it? And they're just going to say, oh, brush it off. You know, this isn't going to apply to us. It doesn't impact us. And there's been elements of that definitely in the responses that are out there um, from the VC community. Oh yeah, this is not a problem. We've seen that. This isn't something that really is going to impact our companies because obviously they, they don't want to see an impact on the AI companies they're funding. But the reality is now we're just creating more work for, for everyone, right? We're going to have to have some sort of compliance officer for AI ethics. Can you imagine? Um, I'm just, you know, giving ideas of potential scenarios, but what next, right? I mean, obviously you have people in pharmaceutical companies that this is the whole gig, their job, right? To understand all the rules and regulations so you don't fall afoul of the FDA. But now are we going to have to think about OECD guidelines, you know, OPCW, you know, even the companies that are creating these technologies, how are you going to uh, control them so that they don't get into the hands of foreign actors? Um, the technologies, I think, are powerful enough now as they are, but could you imagine if DALI or some other new hot technology that's being created, you know, does this, you know, and someone with infinitely more computational power applies these kinds of technologies? So yeah, there's just so many ramifications of it now. I mean, it's like, oh boy, have we, have we really stood in it? You know, it's like, <laughs> where do you stop? Right. And I think that's the natural consequence of pulling the fire alarm is then you have to have a fire emergency response right. and figure out how do we contain it, right? And I, we want to be careful that we don't swing the pendulum too far in the other direction because as... We know that this industry is going to be the future of developing new medicines for patients, and it is at the cusp of being truly transformative with the computational tools now reaching a degree of sophistication, having enough data to really be predictive. We're seeing things like DeepMind and AlphaFold and now having structures of proteins to unlock a whole new host of new targets. So I think we have to be careful not to fall into a bipolar discussion, which is what I see happen at very much with these conversations is it's either the unregulated Wild West or you've crushed the industry under regulation without the real middle path and the reasonable path. Like there is ways to mitigate risks and still realize benefits of the technology for patients and commercially. Well, we're definitely in the Wild West at the minute. I mean, it Correct. Feel, it feels we are that far way. in the Wild wow. West. Yeah, it could not get more wild considering that the industry did not even realize this is a risk at large. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, it's like, well, what could we do next? I mean, it's definitely pinged me to think about, well, what, what other applications of the technology are there? I mean, I don't want to be thinking about bad applications, but now just the power of this to design any molecule in any area on demand, right? Um, I mean, we're obviously thinking about therapeutic molecules, but we could design molecules for consumer products, right? 
Um, and those would have good applications. We could design molecules that would treat opioid use disorder. So really, you know, positive examples that, that could help mankind. And, you know, this is just one application that obviously has negative connotations. Um, I don't want to particularly think about other negative applications. But I, I do think that we can, we can use things at that boundary. Um, we're obviously, since this work was fun, was sort of, uh, you know, made aware, published, uh, we've been able to get some funding from NIDA um, to work on using the same technology, our Megasyn generative approach for designing molecules for opioid um, abuse. And, you know, can we come up with treatments to help these patients? This is a massive area, you know, therapeutically useful, and obviously it's a, it's a positive use of the technology. So, yeah, I would definitely like to, you know, sort of sell more of the positive uses rather than the negative. Um, so I, th I think it's going to be interesting how it pans out, right? We can apply these technologies to any area. It is the Wild West. But if regulations come in and say, right, you can only use the technology in this space or you can only use these kinds of combinations of models, it's going to be really, it's going to be really tough to, to demonstrate that the tools can actually be useful. So I think in some degree there has to be a balance, yeah, sort of unfettered access to the technologies with that sort of thing in the background saying, right, well, if you do that, what are the negative consequences? We just have to think, have that little voice on the shoulder kind of standing there behind us saying, what could possibly go wrong? Um, and, and I think, you know, we should be trying to avoid doing more harm. So I would argue that these are actually not really opposing forces, but pulling in the same direction. So a lot of what we think about at FLI is we have our logo of a tree and our tree is flourishing on one side and it is a sad dead tree on the other side. And that's kind of our analogy for thinking about the risks of emerging technologies is it's not, not just realizing the bad outcome. It's not realizing the bad outcomes actually helps you to steer technology towards a flourishing and good outcomes. And most of us that have been part of the organization and part of the community more broadly thinking about risk mitigation are technologists by training. We care about this because we believe these technologies have transformative power for good and see risk mitigation and avoiding horrific outcomes uh, to be on the path to realizing those good outcomes. And an example we use a lot is the Biological Weapons Convention was made very early on in the field's history and has largely helped to avoid bad use cases of biology and its weaponization. And we think of biology as a great field. We think of it that does all these great things for agriculture and medication, whereas you look at nuclear and the first use cases of nuclear technology were nuclear weapons. And that outcome has really curtailed the ability to develop peaceful nuclear energy, which could have transformative power for climate change. So working to create a culture where there's not only ethical guidelines, where there's actually regulations where appropriate, but also realizing that doing the good things we want to do depends on us avoiding these risks and falling into those traps. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we've, in some of the things we've written most recently, thinking about this, we've actually used those uh, scenarios of the scientists going back to, uh, you know, the Second World War. They didn't actually think about these ethical issues, right? I mean, it wasn't until the bombs were actually dropped and they realized the impact their technologies had. 
Um, and in some ways, I think also maybe even earlier than that, some of the earliest chemical weapons uh, scientists, they didn't really think about it that much. They were just pressed into service to make the molecules. And I think it's only after the fact that scientists think about all the ethical implications. And we're early enough in this process of using AI for drug discovery that we can make that choice now. And I think that's the difference. You know, before something bad happens, we can make a positive change. And so I completely agree. I think now that's what's motivating us to raise awareness, you know, going out to conferences, to societies that we would normally go to. But now say, these are obviously, you know, great technologies that have got a lot of potential, but we need, need to start having these conversations now. Um, and, and we're aware of the potential for misuse. And it's not as if something bad has happened. You know, we haven't necessarily done anything bad, I think. You know, we haven't dropped the bomb. We've just basically sort of waved a little, you know, flag or handkerchief and said, okay, we're going to have a timeout here. We think we should consider what comes next and how do we potentially control these technologies or avoid that potential for misuse. And I think that another piece of this, in addition to the potential for misuse within organizations or stumbling on this because of being naive about the risks that they're facing, is also external threats. And so how has this changed in any way you're thinking about cyber security and physical security um, across those dimensions from people outside the organization. Right. I mean, that was one of the questions we had a lot is, um, you know, hopefully your data is secure somewhere and, and we obviously encrypted it and we've hidden it away so it's not on, you know, the cloud or anything. Uh, that was, you know, one of the governmental questions we had pretty early on. So, yeah, we haven't shared the data with anyone. Uh, it's kept private and the only people that have seen the data is Fabio and myself. Um, you know, we Fabio is the only person that has access to it. And, and so, yeah, I definitely think from the cyber side, um, there has to be concern about the security, not just in our company, but any company that's doing these kinds of things or the technologies so that they don't potentially leak, right? So, yeah, I mean, all of these things have came onto the radar. I mean, obviously the, the sense of security was already there as a pharmaceutical company thinking about IP issues, but now thinking about, wow, you know, if, if some of these tools got out there and were misused. And, and our goal is obviously to make tools accessible or license them to people. Now we have to set some sort of controls on our own tools before we license them to people um, or make them available. So yeah, we've got many extra steps now we have to implement, you know, whether that's making an API for the tools or limiting the number of um, molecules that can be predicted with our tools. I mean, all of these things were not really at the forefront of our minds uh, as we were doing them, you know, writing grants to do things that would design new molecules, but, or, you know, allow us to make predictions for, for particular toxicological targets. And now we have to think, wow, we don't really want to make that model available, um, you know, and what happens if it is misused? I mean, are we the ones that are going to be responsible for it? So I think now, obviously, there's a lot that we can do, but there's also a lot that the field has to do. And, you know, the responsibility isn't just on our shoulders. Um, I think it also comes down to our colleagues and our peers. We're just a small piece of the pie, really. And it's not that I want to, you know, share that responsibility with others just so that I can, 
you know, get it off my shoulders. It's more, well, I, I don't have all the answers, right? We don't have all the answers. Um, I mean, we were definitely naive coming into this, but I'm not naive anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about this all the time. And obviously, as we're trying to come up with responses and guidelines and addressing some of the critiques that are out there, it, it's become more of my life than I would like it to, to be, to be quite honest. I would like to go back to doing what I was doing before. <laughs> but I realize, you know, we've changed the future. And hopefully that's a positive change. You have changed the future and you've changed the future of an industry that previously was not thinking about this risk in any way, shape or form. And each day that goes by where AI is increasingly integrated across toxicology and design and clinical trials and, and throughout the entire sort of drug discovery and development pipeline, a wake-up call. And, and it is a wake-up call that I imagine is analogous to, you use the historical examples of chemical weapons and chemists in the early world wars or nuclear scientists post-Manhattan project, um, that our industry now needs to think that we've always thought about helping people, that's our mission, but we also have risks here that we could do the opposite and we could have really severe consequences to society if we are not more thoughtful about this, both in how we use it internally in our organizations, thinking about the safety and ethics of, of this work, uh, but also against outside actors, thinking about the physical security and, and the culture that we create, not only for the scientists doing the work, but at management level and at funding levels, right? And really restructuring the ethical landscape of drug development. Yeah, I think the other thing for me that it's done is it's uh, driven me to look at the history of chemical weapons. Um, obviously, I had a very, very tenuous uh, idea of what had happened in the past, but it's it's now made me go back and read books by experts in you know the, just the last few months on where the chemical weapons field has gone and, and where it's going, and you know now kind of we sit in that field, right? What we've shown is going to happen, and it's going to well, it, it's going to be a part of the next textbooks, right? And so we've created a, a teachable moment for this whole area, both for AI, but also in the area of chemical weapons, right? Um, everything before was just traditional chemistry. And now we've fused the computational element so we can explore the vastness of space. We've also brought in uh, the ethics piece, you know? And, and so it's almost like the um, bringing together of so many different fields in one story the chemistry piece, the biology piece, the AI piece, the ethics piece, the policy piece. And, and I think for me, it's like mind blowing. Now I have to think about all of this at the same time. Before I was just thinking about the chemistry and biology, everything was good. <laughs> um, the AI was just a tool to do the chemistry and the biology. But now I have to think about the AI, the policy, the management, ah, it's exhausting. Um, but now putting it into that historical context of the technology development, um, that's pretty mind-blowing to think about. I don't know that, you know, chemical weapons are going to necessarily develop. Hopefully not, right? And I hope we don't give people ideas um, with what we've done. But I think what we've shown is the potential of these technologies to design molecules. And that can be for good or for bad. 
and we would obviously prefer them to be used for good uses. So it's been great uh, for me to learn about all of these things. And it's obviously going to impact the way that we do things in the company. And, and I just hope that other scientists, you know, take this on board as well and not have to wait years or decades before you have this aha moment, right? The aha moment is, you know, this could get out of control pretty quickly, but it doesn't need to. And, um, you know, I think that we're rational enough actors. I, I feel like I've been schooled by um, these experts that are out there. You know, Philippa and Cedric have given us the knowledge and we can put that out there. And so it does feel very positive. I mean, definitely there's, there's moments where you feel, you know, the negative piece of this. And obviously reading the history, it, it is quite heavy. You know, how these huge nations, the US, Europe, Russia, they all have developed chemical weapons, right, for decades. And obviously some are not developing them. And then other actors come in out of the blue and, and they can do it. I mean, it's, a, you know, the chemistry, anyone can do that kind of chemistry. It's not easy, but it's doable. And the last thing you want to do is provide that accelerant. And, you know, these kinds of technologies can come up with a lot of ideas that may be very doable. And so, yeah, how do we control that and put it back into the box? I'm all for that. So you're being a reluctant voice on this issue is something that really resonates with me thinking about my own personal journey and so many of our my colleagues. I was someone who is very happy in a lab playing around with lasers and energy-based devices before I realized that there was an urgent conversation that needed to be had about the ever-increasing risk of technology on society. And I've been just so inspired by the journeys of other scientists who also, like me, like you, had no training in policy conversations or safety or ethics or thinking through how do you change the way an industry regulates itself or operates or thinks about risk. And, you know, notably looking at things like that have happened with Project Maven and Google workers that decided this is something that is having that ick feeling that you described. Ethically, there's just something here that feels over the line, so I have to do something about it. How has that journey been for you just on a personal level? Yeah, it's, it's obviously it's been an emotional roller coaster. Um, you know, when we did the work last September, there was that initial hit of, you know, this is bad, caused a lot of sleep, I mean, literally sleepless nights, just thinking, you know, how, how could this possibly go wrong? And, and so initially, there was a response, right? It was like I'd been hit. And, and after that, it was, you know, all right, let's put this out there. And then there was a lot of, a big period where nothing happened between, you know, the submission and the article actually coming out. We did nothing. We didn't think about it. I didn't, you know, give it too much thought. Obviously, once the article came out, everyone else was excited about it. And that was a roller coaster in itself of having to respond to interviews, um, to talk about it, to go back and think in my memory, well, how did we actually do it? Why did we do it again? Um, you know, did we make the right call? And so, yeah, there was a lot of questioning, I guess, of, yeah, maybe these people have got a point. You know, it's, do it's, it's doable. Anyone could do this. Um, you know, why did we put it out there? Yeah, for me, it's been kind of this question, like I have had that kind of voice going off in my mind thinking, you know, I'm 
obviously putting Fabio in a, a tough spot by, you know, he's the one that's actually done it. And I, I, I wanted to ask more questions. And obviously, as a scientist, you want to dig deeper, right? And it was a cheap experiment. I mean, it didn't cost us anything to do because it was all done on the computer. And, and yeah, we could have done more. We could have written a bigger paper. And as it was, it's, it's just really a, a small piece, right? It's like two and a bit pages of, you know, a very high-level discussion. And so there is that scientific thought of, should we have put more into it? You know, because it's almost like throwaway, right? And yet this thing that was so short has, has gathered so much attention. All of the things before as a scientist where we spend years on working and putting it together and then the publication is the final polished endpoint, right, of a project. This felt so preliminary, so throwaway, um, disposable in a way. And so there's also been that thought of, right, did we do the right thing? Did we do justice by it? Because if we'd written a full definitive paper, you know, going into gory detail, it would probably have never seen the light of day. But at the same time, it would have fulfilled that scientific curiosity, right? We would have answered all of the questions. We wouldn't have left anything hanging. And now it just feels like, all right, well, we've got to address that question. Um, you know, we didn't give enough detail in there for obvious reasons. And so it does give a guilt complex to, to me, at least as the PI nominally, right? Like, I mean, I didn't do the work. The computer did the work. So I don't feel necessarily like I'm responsible for it, but I am responsible for it. And so, yeah, I'm having all of these existential crises of, you know, how is this going to affect me going forwards? I mean, and obviously it's, it's affecting us. I mean, spending a lot of time following up, talking to people, and there's the addiction of, well, how many more people are going to look at this as it spreads around the globe? And what are the questions are going to be asked? I mean, people have written opinion pieces for the LA Times. And, you know, people have written articles based on other articles that people have written on this. And it's now becoming so far out. But there hasn't been that sort of um, exuberance or, you know, really going to the edge of, um, I guess, criticizing us personally. It's been more of the field, you know, look how bad AI is. This is the kind of thing, the monstrous things that AI could do. But, but we did them. We asked that question. And yes, I, I, I do feel responsible for what we've done. But I, do, I also feel like we've done something positive, like we've contributed now scientifically. And at the time, and obviously when it published, we didn't really think that this was going to have the impact. But now I'm obviously seeing that impact. Um, so how will it shape us going forwards? Um, well, I, d I don't know that I want to be spending my whole career talking about it. I want to get back, definitely want to get back to doing the drug discovery. And that's the thing that's what's driving me, right? But it's given us insights now that we can absolutely use. You know, we've learned from these, this quick and dirty experiment that you don't have to have a finished, polished product of a paper to get visibility and eyes on what you're doing. Something like this can grab attention. So there's, there's also this kind of balance now of, well, if we wanted to grab attention, I know absolutely how to do that. Um, but do I want to do that? Because I'm going to have to live with the consequences of, of the follow-up afterwards. So I'm hoping that 
I'm really hoping that something massively positive will come out of it for the community in the field. We've raised the question, and now I hope someone else will pick up the baton and run with it. And it's obviously provided that teachable moment that will be you know, something that people will talk about alongside these other biological examples. So I do feel like we've, we've had a positive impact in that respect. Um, and I'm very, very honored that the SPEES Convergence asked us to do that presentation because otherwise we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? And, you know, each time we have these discussions, it leads to new ideas. And I think that's important for the field of science and obviously for other applications of AI. Who knows where it's going to go? There's so much potential. I'm excited by what we can do in the field of drug discovery. I think in addition to getting this conversation started in the industry and changing the way the industry fundamentally thinks about what it does and what its purpose is, I think your personal story also has tremendous impact because from the outside, people always assume it's very easy to do the right thing and why doesn't just everybody do it and it's very clear what the right thing is in the moment when you're encountering it, but that's not reality at all. It's very difficult and you have to navigate a lot of difficult decisions and questions and tensions, as you say, between the scientific integrity versus the information hazards of declaring what you actually did. And do I speak about this, but I don't feel qualified to because this is not my, my role. And, and navigating that complex landscape, I think, is very inspirational to people because most people that do find themselves in an organization or a lab um, or any entity, it starts with that feeling, that feeling of like ick and that there's questions here and that I, I don't know what to do. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think I also, I'm, I'm not alone. I think that helps as well. You know, the fact that there's four of us that put this together, it, it does feel like I'm speaking for, you know, all of us. So there's that responsibility as well. I mean, obviously there, they have different opinions, but I think we all speak with one voice. And um, so there, there's, there's power in numbers as well. If it was just me, then I would probably have a different feeling and response. You know, I, I'm a lot more cautious in how I respond uh, to the questions because I know that they will, the others in the team, they will, you know, set me right. Mm -hmm. Or at least say, hey, you're a bit out of line, <laughs> come back, you know. Yep. So I do, I do feel like that's, that's been very helpful. Um, and obviously, it's great to have divergent opinions on uh, divergent continents as well. And so it's not just a US-centric uh, approach. It's a global approach, at least the US and Europe. So I think that's also helped in, in many ways. But it has had, um, you know, obviously, it's taken a toll as well. Um, you just, you know, the mindset that you have to be in, I think, now every day. I'm, I'm second guessing a lot of things in terms of how we use technologies, but that's perhaps how, how it should be when you're at sort of that cutting edge um, because you could quickly fall off, right? And so, yeah, I just wanna make sure that we don't go off into the, the dark side. I wanna make sure that we're doing the right thing. And um, yeah, I feel very encouraged now to actually reach out to some of these institutes like your own, that could offer us a lot of guidance. And for me, I think that's the natural 
stage, you know, because there are so many of these um, AI type institutes that are affiliated with different academic groups um, or not-for-profits, I think like your own, and they have a lot to offer and, and very different perspectives. So I am actually excited by that because I think I could learn, I could learn a lot and uh, that could obviously rub off and, and help us as an industry. I think many of us that are, you know, scientists who are now part of the cause of risk mitigation of, of emerging technologies still try to keep both roles. So for myself, I joke that by day I develop medical devices and by night I try to save the world from autonomous weapons um, and from the killer robots that are coming. And I've seen that as an example across many fields where people continue to do what it is that they do and harnessing the power of technology to make the world better. And, and I can feel your itching to get back to drug development and worth noting that like the therapeutic areas you guys work on are solving some of the world's largest diseases, looking at things like TB and Ebola and Chagas disease, right? Um, where do you see yourself going forward? Well, absolutely. I mean, my main priority is to make sure that the company is successful and, and I can fund um, the, the team, right? I mean, we're a small company. Um, and so we've been very dependent on NIH DOD funding, as I mentioned, but also fee-for-service work with companies. And so the last thing I want to do is to get some sort of notoriety for the company um, that's negative, that would impact companies wanting to work with us. And so far, it's been totally neutral. You know, we've not had really any impact, positive or negative. You know, even the publicity that this has gained for this topic hasn't helped us as a company at all. And, um, you know, now we're three months into it. It'll be interesting to see what it's like after a year. So yeah, my priority is, is really to make sure that we succeed in the goals of the company. And obviously that is to fulfill the aims of the grants that we have and to um, demonstrate with the companies that we work with that we can deliver, that we can use the AI tools to help them as well discover drugs and to avoid toxicities. So that's, that's my day job. And my night's job, I guess, in a sense, is to understand this field and to learn more about chemical weapons and the, um, the implications that these technologies could have. So it's opened my eyes, definitely. Um, but at heart, you know, I always have been focused on the drug discovery. And so it would be remiss of me to move away from that because obviously spending over 25, 26 years of my life dedicated to it, it's, it's where I'm at. And I, I just want to make sure that we're successful and that the, the people in the company, my, my employees, my, my team also understand that with this great power of AI comes great responsibility as well. And we're a relatively young team. And obviously Fabio is an early stage senior scientist. So it's, I think, really incredible that he's been able to participate in something like this and he's been front and center and he's been interviewed and got to you know talk to policymakers ethicists and um people in great positions that we would never even think about talking to so there's a great experience i think that's rubbed off on this for all of us with great power comes great responsibility i think is apt for this a great responsibility to avoid the risks, but also a great responsibility to keep doing the hard work that needs to be done to realize the benefits of the technology. So I think that is very well said. Thank you very much, Amelia. I appreciate it.
Well, thank you so much, Sean, for taking the time to sit down with us today. This has been a wonderful discussion. Thank you, Amelia. It's been a pleasure to be here today. Thank you. And I, I'm really thrilled to hear that in addition to going and solving some of the most important neglected and orphan diseases of the world, that you still have on the back of your mind to keep your by-night role of working to educate our, our industry about this risk and what should be done about it. And no, this is the kind of thing we do at the Future of Life Institute all the time, is thinking about emerging categories of risk that could be very detrimental to society and how do we avoid them? And so we welcome you, obviously, to continue these conversations and to continue this discussion so it doesn't get lost as a paper on a shelf someplace, but really makes real world change. Thank you. I look forward to chatting with you about it. Wonderful. Wonderful.